The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Okay, so COVID has been a real bitch on dating. I, I know this because I have a lot of really great people on my team that are single and I have talked to them about this. And we've been trying to brainstorm a way for them to get out there without really getting out there, without having to go on some sleazy dating site. And this is where I'm going to introduce you to Match Dating App. I have been telling my whole team about this, all my friends who are single. Okay, so the Match Dating App, their whole thing is about emotional maturity. So emotional mature adults are on this app, which is such a breath of fresh air. How refreshing. I feel like with everything that's going on in the world and all these like creepy dating sites, I feel like it's so nice to have one that's focused on emotional mature adults. They actually did a survey, you guys, that found for the first time in more than a decade, emotional maturity ranks higher than physical attractiveness. That is crazy. Physical attraction has gone all the way down the list to number eight. And I think that that really speaks to the world that we're living in. I think people are sick of the sleaze, if you know what I mean. So if you're looking for someone who starts their day before 11, (laughs) who is loving and honest and (laughs) has good communication, this is so rare to find, um, then you got to check out this app. This is the app for you. I know there's a lot of people out there that put mezcal as their personality trait and the match app is not about that. They're about people that have got their shit together. Telling you, I'm telling all my friends, all my team members about this site. And now I'm telling you, are you ready if you're single for something more? If you know what you want and you're not afraid to say it, download Match. And now messaging your top matches is free. Check out the Match dating app. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential. Him and her. Uh-huh. Tierra del Fuego in Argentina. I'd go to Antarctica. I'd swim with dolphins. I'd skydive. I'd do everything, right? And I'd have sublime experiences. Well, since my stroke, I can't do any of those things, right? I have to just, I can't, literally, I can't even take a walk. I'm in my office. But I have to discover, when I write a book, I have to feel it. So I've had to train myself to see the sublime just in the, in the four walls of my office, in looking outside and seeing the sun and seeing birds and butterflies and my cats and my wife. It's how you think, it's how you process the world that makes it sublime. The cardinal virtues are supposed to be like pivotal, like this is what the good life hinges on. And so Christianity and Stoicism share these four virtues of courage, temperance, justice, wisdom, as being the sort of the th- not just like what you build a good life around, but like every situation you face calls for one of or all of the four virtues. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show. Today we have part two of the Ryan Holiday and Robert Green Roundtable. If you're just tuning in this week, make sure you go back and check out Monday's episode where we did part one. That one is doing phenomenally well. The episode is being received very well. People are loving it so far. And this, again, is part two of that episode. So if you're just tuning in, I guess you could start with this one. But I think it's better to go back and listen to part one first. I have a fun fact. I have listened 
to every single one of Robert Greene's interviews on the podcast app and YouTube. Super fan. And let me tell you something, you guys. He has done like a thousand interviews. I am such a big fan of Robert Greene. And I think he is one of the smartest, most well-written authors there are out there. I highly recommend doing a deep dive into him. And then Ryan Holiday, as you know, I'm such a fan from the Daily Stoic. I read a page of day all the time. I've recommended that book to everyone. Thanks to Michael. And I'm also just a fan of his writing. Ego is the enemy. Obstacle is the way. He's written some really great books. Definitely check them out as authors and also as interviewees. With that, part two of Ryan Holiday and Robert Greene. Here we go. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. You mentioned earlier, Robert, about violating a law. Is there a law that you each violate a lot that you have to work on? And what is that law? That's a hard one. What law do I violate the most? I I would say, and I learned this from Dove, I think the one that most people struggle with is or a lot of people struggle with is um, always appeal to self-interest, never mercy or gratitude, which is that you think people should do the right thing because it's the right thing or because the facts say that it's the correct path or because like, look at everything I've done for you in the past or whatever. And then realizing that the world operates on self-interest and that like whatever it is that you do, especially as I think artists and creatives struggle with this a lot. They go like, but my thing is amazing. We were talking about academics, like, but I'm the expert in this. I've studied this more than anyone. Why is why are Robert's books selling more than me? He didn't go to Harvard. He's not a you know a tenured professor. Well, it's like because Robert actually cares about the audience and he understands that the audience is busy and that they don't care about books and they're only reading books because there's an ROI on the investment of reading the book, right? And so this is where I think marketing comes in, but also in the creative process of just like, people are busy, people don't care about you. How do you figure out how to get them to do what you want them to do, whether it's buy your stuff or try out this idea or help someone else by convincing them that it's in their interest to do so. Like not trying to go against this headwind of like, but it's like, eat your vegetables, you know, like you, you just don't get anywhere that way. That's a good one. That's a good one that you just said. What about you? Well, early on, I was violating law number one a lot, never outshine the master. It got me in a lot of trouble. But since then, I've been very aware of 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 a primary law of human nature, which is that everybody has an ego. Even the people you don't think have one who who act like they're Buddha or Gandhi or who are the most powerful CEO in the world, why would they have insecurities? But the higher up you go, the greater your insecurities are. So I've learned since then, and I don't really, I don't really have masters to outshine anymore, but I violated that a lot when I was younger. In general, my problem is sometimes just too nice, right? And I have to learn to say no and be kind of tougher and meaner. So with law number two about learn to not trust friends, like I hire people sometimes because they're kind of nice and they compliment me. And then I realize that they're a disaster. So I hope he's not listening to this podcast, but <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was at, at the gym, the Los Angeles Athletic Club that Ryan belongs to. And this guy came up to me and he's, he recognized me and he's a big fan. And, I, he, and he started, I started talking to him and I was very impressed. And he's like a professor 
He has a PhD in psychology. He teaches at USC. And I thought, hmm, it's probably going to say no, but would you like to do research for me? And he said yes. And it ended up, he was just terrible, absolutely terrible at it, right? Just the worst choice I could have made. He was full of ego. He thought that he could teach me things, you know, about writing a book. Sorry, young man, but no, you can't teach me a damn thing. Just shut up and do my boring work for me. And later on, maybe I can learn something, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, he he kind of sweet-talked me into the job by pretending. And I should have just, like Anna said, never hire somebody that you meet at the athletic club. That's like a lesson that I've learned. That's a, that's a 49 laws that's of power. I, I would say, speaking of the athletic club, we were talking about routines. Robert introduced, I obviously I knew about swimming, but Robert, when I was his research assistant, would talk to me about swimming. And I started swimming because Robert did it. And it was a total life-changing thing as part, like having something, and I haven't been able to do it as much as I, I've wanted to lately, but just like having something sort of rhythmically that you do, like some sort of, I, I find that almost all great writers or creative people have some consistent physical practice that they do that takes you out of your head. But ironically, in doing that unlocks things mentally that makes you better at what you do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man, I, I miss it so much. It's very painful to hear that, Ryan, because swimming was meant so much to me. I've been doing it for forever. I competed in high school. That was my sport. And I can't do it now for three years. And it just almost makes me cry. But it meant so much to me because it got me. First of all, you can't swim with other people. I mean, I see some people who do try and do that. I go, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Just swimming is by nature. You have to be alone in your thoughts. You can't bring a buddy there and after every lapse there and talk about it. But there are people who will be like kickboarding with their friend. (laughs) You know, come on. You have to be alone when you swim. (laughs) So it, But you can't really think very deeply while you're swimming. You're totally in your body. It's this wonderful rhythm. You know, the water is just this incredible feeling. It takes you out of all of your stress, all of your problems. And there's no feeling like in the world that can compare to what it's like after you've had a swim. It's just so relaxing. It's so wonderful. And, you know, it was it is what helped me get through my books, and I don't have it anymore. That's why I say the bike ride is 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 my compensation for it. But when you have a lot of mental energy and that's your life, having something completely physical, as Ryan says, is kind of a lifesaver. I remember I was at a pool in Austin and someone recognized me and they said, oh, like I just read this book. And I was like, I wrote that book in this pool. Like, <laughs> like not literally, but uh-huh. like the book would not be possible without the pool because uh-huh. I would go, I would write in the mornings and then swim in the afternoons. And the sort of like hot, cold, hot, cold of it was integral to not losing my mind. But then also I would always get out of the pool with like an idea or a thought. Do you think the sublime aspect of swimming is that there's some like womb-like aspect to being submerged in water? Huh. Yes. And it's the only medium where you're, you're, you're physically immersed in something. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously we're immersed in air, but we don't feel it. Sure. And so there's a kind of a oneness yeah. with, the, with, the, with the water itself. It kind of has a different effect on you. And then also... 98% of our bodies is water. And some people think that we evolved. I mean, why do we have salt tears, et cetera, and things like that? Our relationship to water goes back 
very primal. There's a book written that is now kind of debunked called The Aquatic Ape that thinks- That's how we learn to walk, right? In the water? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, there is something definitely sublime about water. And, and I was rereading recently Moby Dick, and there's this the great passage where Pip falls into the ocean, and he just has this insane, beautiful, beautifully description of what it's like to be kind of lost in water and how you're kind of going back to God itself and the universe. Yeah. You know, you're very influential, Robert, because now I want to go for a swim. You don't swim? But now, now I want to. Have you been to Barton Springs yet? No. Yeah, you have. Uh, you no, I haven't. You have, well, you haven't gone in, but you've been. Maybe I've looked at it, but I have never been in it. Austin yeah. is a very underrated swimming town. Okay. I have to say, though, guys, you're not thinking about the hair thing for women, though. It's a real bitch to have to get in with the well, hair. Well, Barton Springs, they don't have chlorine. Yeah. it's. It, but even getting your hair wet, as well, ask your wives. They'll yeah. tell you. You'd have to move it's the a cap whole and all thing. the whole thing. It's yeah. a whole thing. It's like the hair is out to here. But maybe yeah. I just need to get a swimming cap because that does sound extremely therapeutic. I don't mean to brag, but I made the best smoothie after my workout. Like I have to tell you guys about it. It is so good. So what I did is I did one date. I always do one date for sweetness and it gives it a little healthy fat with lots of vitamins and antioxidants. And then I did a bunch of mixed greens, shoved it all in there. Then I did cherries. I got these frozen cherries from the market. They're so good. They're pitted. I threw those in there. And then I did chia seeds. And then I did my protein powder. And I always do protein after a workout. I am very, very aware of the protein that I use. And this shouldn't surprise you. The one that I like is by Ritual. It's the essential protein. It's their new protein. It's a plant-based protein. Why I like it is because it's clean and it's here to support your nutrient needs in different stages of life. So pregnancy, postpartum, and it has 20 grams of pea protein. So I do two scoops to get those 20 grams. It has the complete amino acid profile and it's made with this delicious handcrafted vanilla flavor harvested in Madagascar or something, which is so crazy. And their peas are sustainably grown. So a lot of proteins don't have the sustainably grown peas. Ritual also does no added sugar. They do soy-free, gluten-free, and it's formulated with non-GMO ingredients. I'm a fan of this because so many protein powders, it's going to like rock your world, have soy in them. And I do not want soy in my protein powder every single day. Try my smoothie. Let me know what you think. Why not shake up your ritual today? To make trying something new a little less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, our listeners get 10% off during your first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash skinny to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash skinny. I, I came out here for Ryan's wedding, I think it was six years ago. Yeah. We were swimming a lot those days. So he took me to Barton Springs for a swim. And it happened to be one of the coldest days in Austin. It was like in the it started 40s. started snowing while we were in the pool. <laughs> and we were like, the, it's not a pool. It's like a, a pond or something. Yeah. It it's was a spring. so cold. It's good for you they though, were not right? even. They were like Marines who were trying to train. <laughs> they even got out of the water. We were like the only people there. And we, we swam. We did like a mile. We did a you know, a huge number of laps. I got out of that water. I was like shivering. I was shivering all the way through his wedding. I was like, when we got out of the pool and I saw him, I was like, oh, great. I killed Robert Green <laughs> yeah. and everyone's going to play. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I would love to talk to both of you and hear your opinion on the state of the world in the last two years and the anger that is on the internet. Obviously, there is a lot of positivity too, but there's the the anger has been enhanced since people were quarantined. And with COVID, I've noticed it as a creator. I'm sure both of you have noticed it. What advice would you collectively give? In a way, it's gotten like much more primal and tribal. Huh? Yes. Yes. I would love to know like your opinions on like what you would, if you could write a book on it, like what would it be called and what would it be about? You know, there was a a study by this French uh, biologist in the 1980s. He did experiments with mice and he did these experiments where, you know, you had, you had, the mice had to choose one passage or another. And he created this situation where either, neither passage led to anything good and the mice kind of went crazy, insane. And then he sort of analyzed what happened in their bodies and the chemical responses. And his idea is, is that when humans or animals don't have any, any exit route, can't figure out how to solve something, something very deep goes on biologically in us. Chemicals are released that we're not aware of that lead to depression, that lead to stress, that lead to frustration. And so I was kind of seeing this as kind of like a giant mouse experiment that was going on, right? And, you know, people were very, very frustrated. They had, there was like nothing you could really do to get out of it in, in a way. And I noticed that with myself, I noticed it was having an effect on my own emotions. I was getting a little raw as well. And so, you know, it's very normal. It's very natural. And the thing is, you have to understand that the rage is not, isn't really you, it's being manufactured by circumstances. You know, it's something that I do a lot in my meditation that's helped me a lot is your thoughts and your feelings aren't necessarily you, right? There, there's something else out there, it's something that's being produced. You're being programmed to think a certain way. You're being programmed to feel a certain way by your culture. And having that distance and saying, those thoughts, they're not really me. They're coming from some other place. They're coming from all the other outraged people that I'm reading about on the internet. They're influencing me. And having that distance and understanding, I mean, I've said this before about other questions, and being able to see that it's not really you that's reacting this way, that you're being kind of programmed and set up. Because if you look at Facebook and you look at Instagram and the other, and Twitter, they've designed it to play on all of those emotions for you, right? They're designed to make you angry and they actually reward people who, who, who vent that. And so it becomes this, this, this cesspool where all your deepest, darkest emotions, you can vent them there and feel like you're releasing them, but you're not releasing them. As Ryan said with Twitter, and I, I never tweet, but even when I did, I always feel like kind of dirty afterwards. I don't feel good about it, right? I kind of vented some opinion in 120 characters, but it made me feel worse in the end. You know, it just comes back to this idea that you're being you're being played, right? That, that, that this is a medium that's designed, they're designed to kind of continually manufacture outrage and frustration. And when you have a pandemic, it's just that much easier to manipulate people into, into, into having these responses. It's funny though, because you're talking about technology, which obviously exacerbates it and is, is played a big role in sort of how quick it's happened and how, you know, some of the dark corners that people go into. 
But when I was rereading Marcus Aurelius it, during the pandemic, it I like obviously I understood it, but then sometimes you don't understand it until the context changes. But it's like, oh, this guy was writing this during a plague, like during the Antonine plague. And in one of the passages he talks about how in a plague, there's the kind of sickness you can get that would, could take your life. So that would be in that case, like the smallpox or whatever it was. But he's like, there's this other pestilence, he says, that can affect your character. And so I think what we're also seeing is people just get caught. They like catch this other kind of toxic thinking or this like maybe it's coming from a really dark place or that it's filling some need in them. But they're like, when I will talk to, it's like they're totally normal one day. And then the next day, they're just like saying stuff that you're just like, whoa. Or you can, you it, maybe it's a little thing and then you watch it grow. You're sort of watching it incubate inside them and affect who they are. I think we're watching just these, we're seeing in the way that a meme is is sort of almost this biological organism uh, or mimics how evolution works. I think you also see it with like idea viruses, just people get caught in this kind of way of thinking or this little bug gets planted in their brain. And then the next thing you know, they're telling you about this, you know, how there's really lizard people out there, whatever it is, right? Like you get, you get infected with something. And this is why I think you have to be always questioning your thinking, but also just like sort of practice good habits in the same way that you would like, you know, there's like, hey, socially distance or wear a mask. Like, I think it's almost like, okay, like who do you let in your like sphere of people? And what do you keep out? Like, this is why I don't listen to this or watch this or follow this because you're decreasing your chances of, I think, getting infected with something that, especially if stuff's not going well in your life or you're already an anxious person or maybe you're, you're just had a baby or you just lost someone and you're in some vulnerable place. I think you can be like more compromised and thus more susceptible to this stuff. Like whenever you watch like some video of like some lady freaking out at the supermarket, it's, and then they talk to her later. She's like, oh, you know, all these things were happening in their life. And then they were spending too much time on the internet. And then it leads to here. And you, you lead that with, with, with the, you know, the biggest emotion or one of the biggest emotions fear, right? Yes. And like that makes people so irrational. And it's, it's interesting. We talk to so many different people all the time and it's almost like they get, like if you, if you look at the extreme, even if you talk political, right, left, it's like they almost get more entrenched and further and further away from the middle and they fail to even understand, like understand how far they're getting away from the center. Yes. Right? Like, and they, and they can't. Or just reality itself. Like, yes. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. What is something that you both have learned during this pandemic about yourself? I have a, so me, I learned that like, I'm an anxious person. Like I thought I had anxiety related to like specific things that I was doing, right? Like what I mean? thought the anxiety was like, book is on deadline or like, I don't like being late or traveling. Or, like, you tethered it to whatever was going yeah, on. Yeah, it was yeah. like in relation to the thing. But then when all those things go away, I think that was what was really interesting about the pandemic, especially this early months where it was like, suddenly like, you weren't supposed to be anywhere. You couldn't go anywhere. You were just you. Like it's it's almost it was almost a meditative experience and that or a, a sensory deprivation experience and then it stripped all the outside things away that would either provoke you or prevent you from being provoked because it would consume you right. And then so when all that went away and you're like, oh, the emotions are still there, you realize this is another stoic idea that like you're bringing the like. You want to blame the person for offending you, but really like, you're choosing to be offended, hmm. right? Like it's your fault. You're carrying it. 
And so the idea for me was like, oh, I'm bringing this to the situation because now that those situations are gone, if I'm still feeling it, it's like, the co- it's like um, you know, when you go, if everyone you meet is an asshole, it's because you're the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if, if all these things are causing anxiety, then I stop doing those things and I'm still anxious. It's like, oh, I'm the common variable in all these situations. You know, what's interesting about you too, because I've seen, obviously, like I've seen, what's going on on social and so and I, people, they like hold you to this pedestal where you, sure. you need to be a perfect stoic at all times, right? Like if you, because you write and because like yeah. you built a career on writing, like if you ever, if they ever perceive that you fall outside of that, you are viscerally yes. attacked. Yeah. Like if I, if I'm like, Hey, I'm, I said like I bought something and it came defective. People are like, you should be indifferent to this. <laughs> you know, like I'm not mad. I just would like my money back. You know, like, but it's I think also, people, you've, you've told everyone it's a practice. Yes. It's not something that you're just evolved right away. It's a constant daily practice like meditation. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think people like expect you, like you have to be, you're not practicing anymore. Like you are. Yeah, I feel like they do that to a lot of influencers. They think that you should be a certain way at all times. What's something that you learned during this pandemic about yourself? Well, I learned what Ryan was talking about. Then I learned something a little bit not so nice about myself because when it initially happened, I was actually quite happy in some ways. <laughs> I was like, wow, Griffith Park is empty. <laughs> there are no people. This is bliss. This is how the world should be. There's no traffic in Los Angeles. I'm the happiest person on the planet. Wait a minute, Robert. There are people dying and suffering, and yet you're excited by this. That's not very nice. But I couldn't help it, you know? I mean, do you know what it was like to be able to drive to Santa Monica in 15 minutes <laughs> from Los Feliz? It was like you landed in the Garden of Eden. Los Angeles was livable for, you know, several months. But come on, you know, what's the context here? So I had to kind of step back and, and be a little more empathetic and, and remember my own struggles when I had my stroke and how painful it is. And there are people dying and the helplessness that you feel with your body when you can't breathe, et cetera. You know, I know what that helplessness is like. It's awful. It's the worst feeling. And people being so insecure about their jobs. So I had to hold, step back and kind of try and understand a little bit better about you know, and and my stroke has kind of had that effect in general where I've had to be a little bit more humble about people who are facing limitations in life because I know what that feeling is like and it's it's absolute misery. So on the one hand, I was so upset when all the cars reappeared and 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 people were out partying and the restaurants were crowded again. Then you know, come on, it's that's Robert. That's really kind of sad about you. I don't think that's a great thing. I love the self awareness in both of your answers. It's incredible. <laughs> Before we go, I would love to hear about each of your books. Robert, you're in the midst of writing one, and Ryan, you just wrote one. Can you speak on that? Maybe we'll start with Ryan. So I'm doing a four book series on the cardinal virtues. So I just did this one on courage, and then I'm doing one on self discipline. Oh my god! And justice. Then you are wisdom. busy, man. So this will uh, yes. this will fall outside of the original trilogy. This and what's is, the, yes. what what number is the fourth book out of all your books? I don't know. What's Nine. what number is courage? I don't. I, it, Eleven or twelve? Oh my god! Something like that. Oh my god! Um, I know. Ooh, that's like having twelve kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Like so you're doing um, four part series. So I'm doing the four part series. So I'm I'm sort of. It feels like the the first one is done, but really, since they're all, it feels like I'm just twenty five percent of the way through this like larger thing that I'm working on. It actually feels nice, though. I don't know about you, Robert, but like the weird part is like you're working on a book and you have no idea what would be next. 
right? So like the future, having like, oh, no, no, these are four things I'm doing in a row. And this is vaguely the timetable that it has to be on is both intimidating. And it's also kind of, there's like a certain security in like how overwhelming it is. Cause it's just like- Did you have that in the first three? Did you know you- No, were- because it was like, I wrote one and then it did okay. And then I was started a second one. And then I was like, oh, you know what? They should be related. And then the third one- happened, but I didn't think about the third one when I was writing the first two. So this is the first time I've done anything where like the pieces are intertwined or related and dependent. That, that's that's what I'm on now. And if you were going to sort of pitch your book to the audience, what do you, what value do you think it'll bring? So, so the idea of the cardinal virtues, people think like cardinal, because it's associated with Christianity, that cardinal means like, is that from a cardinal? Like, is this like a Catholic thing? Cardinal comes from the Latin word cardos. So the cardinal virtues are supposed to be like pivotal. Like this is what the good life hinges on. And so Christianity and Stoicism share these four virtues of courage, temperance, justice, wisdom, as being the sort of the, not just like what you build a good life around, but like every situation you face calls for one or four or uh, one of, or all of the four virtues. Cool. So I'm just thinking, to me, it's like, okay, yeah, the world melts down. You need courage, but then you also need self-control. Then you also need justice. How do my individual decisions affect other people? Then wisdom, how do you tell fact from fiction, right? Very so, timely. Did you time it with everything? Timely slash timeless would be the idea. Yeah, a perennial seller. But it's very much, it's very much like I feel like for what the world is going through, it fits. That tends to happen though, don't you think? Like you, yeah. you're thinking about something and then it just, it aligns yeah. with, well, you talk about this in um, Laws of Human Nature, the idea of the zeitgeist. Like, are you plugged into it or not? Do you feel yeah. the energy of the world or not? And I think part of it, you get lucky, but then also you have some sense. You're not, it's not you're predicting what's happening, but you have some sense that inevitably something like that must happen. Well, I, I mean, I, I come across a lot of young people who are huge fans of Ryan's books, and I kind of talk to them about it. And I think, you know, he's a, we're all products of the time that we live in. And Ryan came from, you know, your generation. I'm just lumping you guys together here. Same, same yeah. Okay. Times of great insecurity. You know, you had the 9-11, then you had the meltdown in 20, 2008, then you have a pandemic. And 20 years of war. 20 years of war. And you've, so you've had to deal with things that my generation really didn't have to deal with. And so there's a lot of kind of insecurity and fear about the world. And you don't really know how to react. And you feel like you've kind of lost control. And I got this sense in talking to the, because it's mostly a younger audience, I think, for you. Yeah. And it's the same for me, but definitely for you, is Ryan's book really helped anchor me in this very turbulent, dangerous constantly changing world. And I think it's because he felt that way himself that he turned to stoicism. And so, you know, if you feel something very deeply yourself, it's going to resonate with a lot of other people of your generation in particular. So that's why I can't stop recommending your book. You, you, you know, like what a fan I am of the daily star. Yeah, I was struggling. All the time. Like Lauren and I were both struggling with like 2015. We we're like losing part of this business. And it was like, I think that's when we found obstacle. I'm like, Oh wow. Yeah. It's r- really, really. And it now I process. have daily laws, daily stoic on my meditation mat. How good is daily laws? It's though? amazing. Because it's you're, amazing. you're, you're not going to necessarily sit down and reread all of 48 laws of power or 33 strategies of war. But then it's like a reminder of, oh yeah, that was so good. It's really it, good. To me, it's like the great, 
authors don't get to do greatest hits albums because that's like not how books work. But like, that's what I think it is. Okay, here's the deal. It's a new year. It's a new you. It's time to start investing and saving for your future. We have been talking more and more about personal finance on this show, and it has done phenomenally well. Clearly, this is a topic that you guys are interested in us covering. And what I've found is so many people are just unfamiliar with how to invest, how to save for their future, which is why I love our partner, Wealthfront. If you listen to the episodes that I personally did on finance, you would have heard that I'm a huge fan of low-cost index funds for personal investing. I think they're some of the most diversified, safest ways to invest for the long term. And honestly, I highly suggest it for anyone. Wealthfront is the platform that we've chosen to partner with on this show. And it's because they make it easy to start trading. It's totally automated. And like I said, it's trusted with over $27 billion in assets. So for me, I like to put the majority of our savings into low-cost index funds. But you might also want to invest in clean energy funds, crypto trusts, cannabis, tech, all sorts of different investments. And Wealthfront has something for everybody, which is, again, why we love recommending it on this show. Here's the thing. If you're not setting aside a certain amount of your paycheck or income for your future, for your savings, you're doing it wrong. You're going to regret it later. Even if it's something small, and here's the key, you always want to save before you spend, not spend and then save after. Wealthfront makes all of this extremely easy. It's automated, and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free for life by going to wealthfront.com skinny. It's a no-brainer. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to wealthfront.com skinny. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com skinny to start building your wealth. That's wealthfront.com slash skinny and get started today. Yeah, it's it's genius. And the, and you and Ryan's book, they, they go together well. I mean, I've, I've read The Daily Stoic every single day for the last whatever years. And to implement another book sounds overwhelming, but it's actually not. The two are just like the perfect bite-sized amount for the morning. And you started to read War? I started to read War. You didn't get through it. No, I'm no, no, no. I'm still on it. I'm still on it. I'm listening to it on Audible. I'm not okay. actually reading it. So okay. I listen to it okay. when I walk, when I run. But what Michael has been doing with War is Michael is reading it. And what Michael does is every night he'll highlight something and we'll talk about it in oh. War. So I'm getting also bite sizes for Michael and then I'm listening to War. You know what yeah. War did for me? It got me uh, like really, like I'm not saying this right, but it got me very much back into reading about Napoleon. Uh-huh. I'm reading a lot about Napoleon again. As a we, woman, you know, though, out of all your books, war was the one I was most like, I, I it was hardest for me because it is, to me, it was very, very, I love masculine energy, but it was very, very masculine energy. But with what you've read and what I've listened to, it does have things that you can really apply to business. Mm-hmm. So I like war. I love war. <laughs> I would tell the audience to start with power or human nature or the daily laws. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. I, I Just to interrupt though, I would say like, I think the reason people are sometimes deterred by 33 strategies of war, which is I think my favorite of your books, maybe mastery, but it if it was called 33 laws of strategy or 30, you know, like yeah, the war, the war, the, I think people, they, the emphasis is on war instead of strategy. Maybe scared me a little bit but out of all. It's of really a book about strategy. It's like a that's the book, book I on tell people to read. Like they're like, Oh, I'm starting a business or I'm launching a product yeah. because it's really about like what a war is made up of campaigns. Uh-huh. Right. And it's about camp, like a camp, how to 
successfully accomplish a thing. You're exactly right. It is it is one of the best business books to read probably. I'm not through it all the way, but from what I've read so far and listened well, to. I, in a way, they're all applicable, but that I would argue that that book is way more applicable if you are starting a venture, right? Than 48 Laws of Power because 48 Laws of Power is assuming that either you're on the rise of power or trying to keep power, right? Mm-hmm. Where this is maybe you need to do this first part before you can accumulate the power part. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Michael's the one that introduced me to your books. He's the, he's really? read, I feel like you've read all of them. I've read No, I think I I think I have read all. No, I, I haven't read Seduction yet. Which I probably should. You don't need should. to. You, you should be reading that book. Yes, <laughs> you should cuz you should be constantly seducing oh, me. Oh, I read oh, Seduction. Oh. You know what? No, that I mean, but that's probably right as Lauren and I've been together since we were since it I was 20. So you need to read Seduction. You're kind of strange if I was off in the corner. Or the one behind Robert's right. back is The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. You could read that one too. <laughs> I read it at Ryan's bookstore. I have one final question for both of you and I think about this. I was reading 48 again the other I was just I sometimes go back to it and I was thinking about Law 9 and it was it, it, I'm going to butcher it. It's Basically, make ne- people come to you. No, it's 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 when um went through your actions, when, never through arguments. Yes, went through your actions, never through the arguments. And I think at a time like there's a lot of arguing going on all over the place, and I and basically everyone's breaking the law, like everyone. Oh yes, yes that law, yes, <laughs> yes that law. Everyone's breaking. <laughs> well, no, but that too. But everyone's yeah. breaking the law, meaning everyone's just arguing. They're not. Nobody's really like taking. I mean, I don't say nobody, but it's, no, they're it's, just chattering about it on the internet instead of being like, here's evidence. Yeah. And I think it's part of the problem, right? You see these in these comment sections, you just see two opposing sides just going at each other. Yeah. And after I was reading your your book and I was like, okay, we're never going to accomplish anything this way because nobody's ever going to win. You never, you never convince people of your point of view. If you argue with them, you just make them more defensive, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody carries with them, you know, it's the notion of cognitive dissonance and, and confirmation bias. We come upon an opinion or an idea and we're emotionally attached to it, right? Part of ourselves are invested in it. We like to think of ourselves as being rational, morally upright, you know, able to kind of do the right thing, etc. And when somebody tries to kind of argue against that and say that your opinion is wrong, it's not just the opinion that they're they're actually attacking you. You're personally invested in it. And so naturally you're going to feel, because what they're saying is, you were so stupid to believe this. You need to believe B instead of A. You're going, well, I'm not stupid. I'm actually a very smart person. And then you double down on your original opinion because your, your, your ego is attached to it, right? So it never, never, never succeeds. I mean, I can think of maybe a couple times in my life where someone has argued something so brilliantly that it did have kind of an effect on me and I calmed down and I kind of saw their point of view. But in general, when you heat people up, which is what an argument will do, they're just going to get defensive. They're just, their walls are going to go up and they're never going to come down, right? So yeah, it's, it's absolutely pointless. And what it is, is a lot of people aren't trying to, to win. They're just trying to vent their own emotions, right? They're not. So if you really cared about the environment or you really cared about justice, just shut up and make, do something practical and get something accomplished instead of venting your your feelings that don't change anybody's opinion. When the pandemic should be really illustrative of this because it's so extreme, but it's like, oh, you're people who you are not that different of then. And I think you do a good job of that in laws of human nature. It's like, no one is above this. So it's like you watch a person who would literally rather die than 
agree with someone they disagree with or dislike yeah. or admit they were wrong about something or change their mind. And you're like, okay, if that's what, if, if at that level, they would rather like literally die in a hospital than do X, Y, or Z, you're probably not going to be able to bully them into changing their mind about these other much more minor things where the consequences are even less severe. Like it's just not going to happen. And I, to me, like, so people don't like this about stoicism, the idea of just acceptance or resignation that feels very weak, but it's also strong. And you're like, look, I don't control what other people are doing. I only control what I'm going to do. So by not either despairing or beating my head against this brick wall, I'm just going to focus on like the decisions I make in my life, for my family, in my career, whatever. That's where you're going to make a difference anyway. People have a hard time with that, but it's ultimately like all you can do. But it's like also there are ways of persuasion and arguing that can be effective. And if you have children, which I don't have, you kind of understand that sometimes imposing your idea upon them creates the opposite reaction. So you have to be tricky. You have to learn to take their point of view and you have to say, you know, you're right. I agree with you. Your idea is really sound, you know? Maybe it's true that they rushed with this vaccine thing, you know, and we don't know all the dangers about it. You're not stupid for believing that. But then you introduce a little poison pill in your argument that says, that introduces a little bit of doubt in them. So you're treating them as an adult, as someone who is actually struggling with an idea, and you're kind of trying to subtly insinuate a better idea in them, right? And that can work sometimes if you're good. And that is the art of persuasion to first sort of get inside their point of view, kind of use their words, their images, their way of thinking, and then to turn it a little bit around so that you can kind of channel it in a better direction. That's a kind of thoughtful way of arguing. And yep. isn't that like a full third of the 33 Strategies of War book of the indirect approach yeah, instead yeah. of the like sort of head to head? Sometimes when why... Michael does something I don't like, oh, I just do nothing. <laughs> and I just give no reaction. That's that's perfect Chinese strategy. I, I know I learned it from the Chinese. I probably learned it from your book. I just do nothing. I just look at him. I tell him if he cheated on me, I would do nothing for 10 months. A little off-putting. <laughs> I don't believe that. I would do nothing. I would just have no reaction and do nothing. You just, just, just murder him in his sleep. Yeah, just, <laughs> you, know, you don't know what I would do. That guy, he's gone for 10 months. And just do nothing. <laughs> to your point though, I, you know, introducing these ideas or these subtleties, I, I think the problem with it is that nobody's doing that, right? They're just, this is the, they're, they're so dug in on their way and they're just for like what other side of the spectrum you fall on in any argument. There's we're out of time now. Everyone's just like, there is no nuance. It's just force on both sides, right? And so you you don't you don't have anyone that's able to even listen anymore. And I it it worries me when you think about politics, you have these people that are so dug in on their ideas and we've lost the ability to communicate and come to resolutions on what on on the best strategies. Okay, I have a real tip. I got so sick about 3 weeks ago. And I have to tell you what saved my life. I had never tried it before, but it is the Beekeepers Naturals Be Better Cough Syrup. So I always talk about beekeepers. I'm a huge fan of their little shots for focus. I actually cannot believe how much I like them. I take them every single day, but I had never gotten a chance to try the cough syrup because I hadn't been sick. And so I got sick and I was like, I should just give this a try. I did like a big tablespoon of the cough syrup. It's all natural. I'm going to tell you what the ingredients are. You're going to go wild. 
And first of all, it tastes so good. It doesn't taste like that nasty chemical cough syrup that our parents used to give us when we were little. It tastes so natural and it's so soothing. I swear to God, this got me through this cough and cold. I could not believe it. I have told every single one of my friends about this. A bunch of friends are texting me right now saying that they're sick or their throat hurts or it's scratchy. And I'm like, you have to try this cough syrup to soothe a scratchy throat. If you're uncomfortable, I'm telling you. So all of their products are certified keto, paleo, gluten-free, and natural. There's no GMO. There's no gluten. There's no alcohol. I feel like this is such a good way to revamp your medical cabinet. Go through it and see what is in your cough syrup. It's disgusting. I started learning about cough syrup and what's in it, and it was wild. And of course, I told you I would tell you what is in the cough syrup. It is unpasteurized honey, elderberry fruit extract, bee propolis, which I'm obsessed with, chaga mushrooms, and olive leaves. This medley is going to help you recover so much quicker. I think you'll love it. I know you'll love it. And today, Beekeepers Naturals is offering you an exclusive offer. You're going to go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash skinny or enter code skinny to get 25% off your order. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com slash skinny or inner code skinny. Start feeling better every day today. But there are some politicians and they're, they're the ones who are going to be successful who understand, you know, Clinton did this with the kind of mirroring, triangulation and mirroring, where you kind of take the issues that the other person has and you address those and you hit at them is very, very powerful. It's what the Democrats are absolutely awful at, Right. Ryan and I have been involved in some little bit of political consulting. Right. Names shall not be mentioned. Names what do they rhyme with? No, no, <laughs> well, no, no. I think even as a as a writer, this is something I've learned. I think I got this from Neil Strauss. He said, like, when someone tells you that something's wrong, they're always right. And they tell you how to fix it, they're always wrong. So the point is, like, when someone's like, I don't like this, you're not like, no, you're an idiot. Let me tell you why this is the absolute best way for me to have done it this way. You go like, hmm, okay, maybe something isn't working and I'm going to go look at it. You, you think it's not working for this reason, but actually it's, you're not smart enough to know why it's not working. So I'm going to fix it over here. I'm not going to convince you by telling you you're wrong. I'm just going to tweak whatever set you up to not like this part, right? And so the idea of like doing things indirectly or just not like taking it, integrating it, making some change on it, but not having to like, just because they said do this, you do that. I think that... That just requires more self-control and it I think does. self-awareness than than people have, but also that like we have. That it's hard to do that consistently all the time. When someone's like, hey, can you like you're like, hey, can you pick up that? And you're like, who are you to tell me? You know, like you just can't do it all the time because you're exhausted, you don't exactly. have the resources. But like it's never the best. This is way something to do you're it. gonna do in your new book about temperance. Yes. Is it part of the self-control? Yeah. If I'm yeah. ever a politician, I'm gonna call you guys. Every politician is crazy not to be calling you. Your phone should be ringing off the hook. I'm sure it is. I always send them his way. Yeah, that's- <laughs> I'm like, you shouldn't, because they'll read my book for self-improvement reasons, but I'm like, here, go talk to this person. Yeah. They'll actually they solve your problem. A lot of politicians need to talk to you. You know what's you. interesting too? We're, so we haven't talked about this. It's a little preview, but we're going to do, we've done over 400 of these episodes now with conversations. Oh, also, congratulations. Also, well, thank, thank you. In hindsight now, it's been a short time, but it's also kind of been a long time, you know, for that many episodes. We're like, we wanted to do a little bit of like a, what are, you know, 10 of the greatest lessons or thoughts or ideas that we've, you know, broadly that we've gotten from the show. And I think number one, and maybe it won't be number one, so we might have to edit this if it comes out, is that 
you, you start, after having t- talking to so many people, you realize that everybody kind of has a story and everybody has their own background and their own upbringing, their own ideas. And nobody ever starts out with, you know, ill intention, right? They, they come to the conclusions they come to because of the circumstances that they got brought up in or are in. And they start out with the, it, they're not doing things most times. I mean, some, sometimes it's different, but most people are, they, they believe they're right. Yeah, Socrates' thing was no one's wrong on purpose. Yes. Yeah. There's a logic to their thing. It could be yeah. ridiculous, but mm-hmm. like if they were wrong on purpose, they would not be wrong. Like they think they're right. That's the whole point. Yes. And if, but if you start looking at people like that, then you actually start looking them as at, like people again, like humans, as opposed to like, I'm looking at you as the opposition. And I think it opens your mind to so many other ideas and perspectives and thoughts. And it makes you question yourself all the time too. It's like, okay, I may not agree, but at least I can, if I'm not looking at you as like, you're the opposition, you're against me. You know, you're a, you're a human going through a human experience. I think just starting there broadens everything that you can understand and, and hope for. Yeah. What can we expect from the sublime and then oh. both of you pimp yourself out? Well, the sublime is a book I've been meaning to write for 16 years. It was supposed to be my fourth book after the 33 strategies of war, but then I got waylaid by 50 cent and then mastery came up and et cetera, et cetera. So it's been something I've been wanting to write for a long time. And it's in Laws of Human Nature and yeah. in the 50th, the 50th Law. So you've yeah. been like... Uh, Toying with yes. it. Yeah. But, you know, since my stroke... So the concept of, of the sublime is, is very simple. It's that, what, it, what does it mean to be a human being? It means that we live in, in a circle of conventions and codes, right? So there are always these ideas and laws and things that, that aren't written down that we abide by. And there are these certain ideas that we conform to that create the culture that we live in. And what it was for ancient Egyptians isn't what it is for us now. Obviously, our values have changed. But that circle, that limitation is the same. The ancient Egyptians had that circle, but it just evolved around different ideas than ours do. Ours are around notions of correctness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, and so what happens when you create limits like that, you create a circle, is that human beings are naturally wired to kind of rebel against, against that. We, we kind of want to go beyond limits. There's a perverse streak in human nature where you're saying we're not supposed to think about that. We're not supposed to generate that those kinds of ideas. We're actually attracted to the very thing that's forbidden to us. And exploring outside that circle that our culture kind of imposes on us is the sublime, is what lies outside, what lies beyond. And it's a realm of the most exciting, powerful emotions you can experience. Because when you live within that circle, you kind of feel restricted inside. Like, my world is so limited, my world is so small. And in the era of the smartphone, my world has kind of shrunk down to this tiny little phone. That's all I interact with. And your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the sense of expanding your consciousness, of going outside that limit, of seeing the cosmos in a different way, of understanding the evolution of of life on our planet in a different way, of seeing how animals think, how children think. I'm writing a chapter right now about childhood sublime and how the brains of children are wired completely different from an adult. When we were children, we thought in a completely different way. And if we could ever recapture some of that, it would be a very sublime experience. And so 
I want to explore that area outside that circle and open people's minds up to this other realm of existence that will actually completely alter your everyday experience. And so the thing was, I had originally intended the Sublime book. I don't know if I've said this on my other interviews, so I hope I'm not repeating myself. But I originally intended it where I'd be flying off to Tierra del Fuego in Argentina, I'd go to Antarctica, I'd swim with dolphins, I'd skydive, I'd do everything, right? And I'd have sublime experiences. Well, since my stroke, I can't do any of those things, right? I have to just, I can't, literally, I can't even take a walk. I'm in my office. But I have to discover, when I write a book, I have to feel it. So I've had to train myself to see the sublime just in the, in the four walls of my office, in looking outside and seeing the sun and seeing birds and butterflies and my cats and my wife. It's how you think, it's how you process the world that makes it sublime, right? Not, not the objects themselves. You could look at the moon a million times and it will never give you a sublime experience. But if you look at it a certain way, understanding the relationship between the moon and the earth and how unlikely it is that it exists and what it might actually be like to be on the moon, suddenly it becomes a sublime thought. And if you have enough of these thoughts during the day, it alters you from the inside out. You feel grateful for being alive. You look at everything around you in a new light. It is, it is like a religious experience. It's the most mind-blowing thing that can happen to you. And the ultimate thing outside that circle is death itself. And the sublime, the word sublime means up to the threshold of a door, sublimen. Limen is the threshold of a door. So it's like you're peeking out through a door beyond what you're normally supposed to think about. And death is the ultimate beyond, right? We don't know what it's like. And to have a near-death experience like I did, it kind of completely alters how you look at everything. It's an insane experience. And that's going to be the last chapter of the book. But that's sort of to give you an idea what it's about. And right now I'm doing The Childhood Sublime, which is a very exciting chapter. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read all of that. That sounds incredible. Where can everyone find both of you, your books, The Daily Laws, The Daily Stoic? Get both of them, read them on a daily basis. You guys can't recommend them enough. I'm at Ryan Holiday and at Daily Stoic. And you are at... Robert Green Official. Yeah. You are, because I you. click it a lot. And he also has a really good YouTube channel and TikTok. I don't think people would think Robert Green TikTok, I've but his seen. TikTok videos are awesome. TikTok is lit. Yes. <laughs> Thank you guys both for taking Thank the time. You so Thank you much. Thanks for doing this on a Thank Sunday. You. Of course. That was amazing. Little giveaway, as always. We are going to give away some Beekeepers Naturals products. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part of this episode with Ryan and Robert on my latest Instagram, at Lauren Bostick. And someone from our team will slide into your DMs. One of you will win and you can bet I will send you the cough syrup. Make sure you've rated and reviewed the podcast. Every little review counts and we appreciate the support.